this is Matt. I'm the lead pastor at Westminster Baptist Church. Thanks for engaging God's word with us. My prayer for you is that this would be supplemental to your discipleship journey. Uh, if we can connect you with a local church or a discipleship group, uh, please contact us at info at discoverwbc.com. God, we just praise you. We thank you again. God, that we have had this time just to worship you and be in your presence. God, we pray that as we move into a time of scripture, God, that, that Father, you will transform us. God, allow us to see your word in a way that we haven't seen before. God, show us truths, God, that, that we can apply to our life. Allow us to be faithful in what you've called us to do in our sphere of influences, God. Allow us to be restored and encouraged. We love you, God. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Again, we're going to be in Acts chapter 8, verse 26 through 40. And before you, uh, we engage this text, I want to remind you of who Philip is. Uh, Philip, we saw in Acts chapter 6, was a deacon. He was one who was full of the Spirit. So uh, all the deacons had some expectations laid upon them in Acts chapter 6, and one of those was that they would be full of the Holy Spirit. And so as we're coming to Acts chapter 8, I think it makes a difference. Now, last week we saw him going through Samaria, another place where he could be rejected, but he was faithful to do what God had called him to do, to go into Samaria. So this uh, morning, uh, as you engage God's Word, I want to continue to challenge you with this. Um, What has God called you to do? Are you being faithful? Will you get up and go where God has called you to do like he is getting up and going where God has called him to go? So let's look at Acts chapter 8, verse 26. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert road. Okay, so I think a lot of times in our life we have this, uh, maybe just me, but like God's word, his word has been given to us that we might know what he has called us to do. It's faithful and true. It is able to uh, rebuke, correct teach and train in righteousness. It is full of what we ought to do in our life when we feel like we don't know what to do. There's truth in here on how to live and how to conduct our lives. So you get to Acts chapter 8 verse 26 and you see this angel of the Lord has come to God or come to Philip from God and you're like okay I like there are times in my life like you feel me on this one where you're like God what should I do? And you want God to just go, hey, go right or go left. You know what I'm talking about? You're like, hey, God, here's two things. Just tell me what I'm supposed to do with it. And you're like, I just need to hear God tell me where I'm supposed to go with one of these different situations. So I think sometimes when we stumble upon this text, we, we think that maybe the miracle is that the angel of the Lord came to Philip. But I'm not, I'm not convinced that the miracle is actually just that Philip got up and went. You know what I'm saying? I think we have God's word. I think we know what God's called us to do. I think he's told us what we're ought to do. The question is, are we faithful to do it? You know, I see, uh, I see a lot of correlations. And I know somebody out there is going, man, but I want to know what, what does God want me to do with this situation? And I don't think God always gets into the particulars. He's always involved in every different situation because here's what God's called you to do. Be faithful with wherever you are to make disciples wherever you are. And if that is going into your family or your friend group or your coworkers or whatever sphere of influence you have, go into that and be faithful where you are. 
So Philip responds with getting up and going, but I, I saw some similarities here. I was uh, in, my, in my study, I was like, okay, get up and go. I've heard that before. Where have I heard that before? It took me back to my studies in Hebrew uh, back in Fort Worth, Texas, uh, when we were studying Jonah. And I remembered, I'm sitting here going, I've never made this parallel, Jonah and Philip. And I was like, okay, but a lot of times English can trick us because they could just translate these two words the same way, get up and go. It says the same thing in Jonah chapter 1, verse 2, and Jonah chapter 3, verse 2. It says, get up and go. And I'm like, okay, I need to figure out if they're the same Greek words. Well, if you know, the New Testament's written in Greek, the Old Testament's written in Hebrew, but there's this thing called the Septuagint. All right, follow with me. The Septuagint is the Greek version of the Old Testament. So what I wanted to do was to know this, because I know Luke is looking at this Greek version of the, New Test- of the Old Testament. He's looking at the Septuagint. Here's how I know that. There's, a, there's a, uh, uh, this phrase in the, um, verse 32 through 33. There's this, um, uh, it's from Isaiah 53, a passage from Isaiah 53, which is the Old Testament. And it's from the Septuagint. It's from the Greek version, not from the Hebrew version. The Hebrew and the Greek are a little bit different, so they, they put it in there in the New Testament from the Greek version. So I know he's looking at the Septuagint. So I went to the Septuagint, went to Jonah chapter 1, verse 2, Jonah chapter 3, verse 2, and the same word that is used in uh, Acts chapter 8, verse 26 is the same word that's used in Jonah chapter 1, verse 2 in the Septuagint. So here's what I know he's telling us. Luke wants us to look at Jonah and look at Philip as sort of uh, these two examples, Right? So then it furthers, like you start thinking more and more about it, and it's like, wait a minute, Jonah was called the Nineveh. If you remember the story, Jonah's called this place called Nineveh, who were the enemies of Israel. They were really gruesome. They, were, uh, they would do things that were not, um, they would cut off scalps and cut off uh, the, uh, the heads of their enemies and put them in these huge piles to talk about how, uh, how strong and um, victorious they were and to kind of represent their um, gruesome acts of violence so that nobody else would come up against them. And so God's like, hey, Jonah, go there and tell them that they're evil, right? You know what I'm talking about? Like, that's what you're supposed to go do. And what does Jonah do? Instead of get up and go, he goes down into the ship and turns away from what God wants him to do. So we see Jonah having a hard heart towards his enemy or to those who are different than him. Now you come to Philip. And God tells him, get up and go south of the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert road. I want to paint you a picture of what Gaza, this desert road, looks like. The desert road there is, uh, uh, in Greek, means something like, it is literally a desert, but it's a deserted place. So Gaza was a city that was a maritime city. That means it was used for, like, ship trading. Uh, People would come there for water. It was the last place um, between um, the Mideast and Africa that had... Uh, water for them as they traveled through this desert. So people would come and join in there, and it was populous. It was prosperous. It had protection for people, like it was a safe place for traders. So people of different uh, backgrounds and ethnicities and nations could come to this one place. It was kind of a hub for trading, all right? A couple hundred years before this moment, they destroyed the city. There was a new uh, emperor takeover. He destroys Gaza in a war, uh, and it goes basically into a desolated deserted city. But they give it to a new ruler. So a new ruler comes in. He's like, hey, I'm going to rebuild that city. But he doesn't build it from the old city. He builds a new city north of it. So the old city is desolated, destroyed. It's a deserted place, right? So 
This old city is where, most likely, where Philip went to. So you can imagine, I want you to just picture this in your mind. This is why I'm telling you all this. Picture in your mind, Philip's walking through a de- de- desert area. It's about to become desert area in a deserted city. Nobody around, no protections, no place to stay, none of these things. He's just being faithful to where God has called him to go, right? Verse 27, so he got up and went, and there was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch and high official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to worship in Jerusalem and was sitting in his chariot on his way home, reading the prophet Isaiah aloud. A little bit different than Philip, (laughs) right? This Ethiopian eunuch, eunuchs were separated from the presence of God. They couldn't be inside the temple. They could stay in sometimes the Gentile outer courts, which they didn't allow them to go into the presence of God. They let them stay on the outside. Uh, they would also let them go to synagogues, but not be inside the temple. So they couldn't be in the presence of God. Remember this. This is not how it was meant to be. The purpose of Israel was to take the presence of God to the nations. But what they ended up doing was rejecting the, the nations from coming into the presence of God. That's not what they were called to do. So when people talk to you about these different things that the church did and that, the, that Israel did and all these different uh, issues that happened, that's not how it was supposed to be. It's how not, not how God created it, but God works in the midst of our rebellion to accomplish his plan, okay? So this is simply what was the scenario at hand. And that's when Philip is traveling through Samaria, which were, the, were kind of the rejected ones of Israel. Israel didn't like the Samaritans. We talked about this last week. So he goes through Samaria, and it seems like Philip is just going to the people that nobody else loved in Israel, right? God's just sent him out to love the unloved. And as he's traveling through Samaria, people are turning to Jesus. And you kind of think like, especially if you're like a prosperity gospel preacher or something like, this is the place to like hunker down, Philip. You got people coming to Jesus. There's a, I mean, people are loving him at this moment. He's performing miracles and people are like coming to, coming to follow after him and, and all of these different things. And Philip, God calls Philip to leave. I think sometimes we think like where we're having success and where we're having all these really good things happening is like, and that's where we should stop and stay and be. But then God calls him. So I got to pause for a moment just for the sake of clarity because somebody else came to me after one of the services. I'm not going anywhere because I just, I just kind of sounded like at one point I said it feels like sometimes I'm a missionary in Carroll County because y'all are so different than the South. But uh, just for clarity, I love where I am. Rachel and I love where we are and we love our home. We have a house. We don't rent a house. We bought it. So it kind of locks us in. Anyways, back to Philip. Philip leaves uh, from uh, where he feels like he's having a, uh, uh, um, a ministry that's really taken hold. And so he goes to this, uh, this desolate place, this deserted place, and exactly where God calls him to, do, to be. But, but who does he see there? A man from a different nation, speaking a different language, with people around. I mean, it doesn't say this in the text, but you have a treasurer who's traveling across nations. He's got a tribe of people with him. He's in a chariot, which chariots weren't like Philip walking around. He's in a chariot being pulled by a horse. This is like a, uh, this is a show of prestige. Like he is a man of, of great value, right? And Philip sees him from a distance in a deserted land with desolate city. And he sees him from a distance and God says to go to him. So look at verse um, 29. The spirit told Philip, go and join that chariot. And again, like God with Philip tells him to do something, and he's obedient. We can't do anything without the empowering of the Holy Spirit. I think that's the key uh, thing for Christians to understand is 
Just because the Spirit of the Lord tells you to do something doesn't mean that you do it, right? Because God's Spirit has already breathed an entire word of God to us for us to obey, and we struggle with obeying it, right? So what we need is the Spirit of God in us to help us to be obedient, to be faithful. This is Galatians, so what Galatians 5.22 tells us. Okay, so Philip is challenged to go and do this, uh, to go and join this chariot. And it says in verse 30, Philip ran up to it. So in your, just think about this. Go back to this view. You've got a man in a chariot surrounded by some guys protecting him. And you've got this random dude who's from a different nation and area, speaks different languages and all those different things, who is sprinting towards his chariot. Like, what do you think is happening in this scenario? But, but in all of this, I want you to see this. In all of this, God is working. How, think about every time God's called you to share the gospel with someone and maybe out of fear you didn't or maybe out of obedience you did. But just in all those different scenarios, God's called you to go somewhere, do something, um, always be obedient to whether he's called you to go or not go. No matter what, just be obedient to what God's called you to do. But in all those different situations, think about just how different this one is. He's in the middle of nowhere. God, would you, why would you send me to de- desert, right? God, would you, why would you send me to a chariot? <laughs> like, these things are kind of terrifying to this guy. But again, I see things that relate back to Jonah. Verse 30. When Philip ran up to it, he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? Again, like how much more could God set this up? He's reading Isaiah 53. There's like no greater passage that points to Jesus in the Old Testament than Isaiah 53. And he's sitting there reading it. And Philip does what I think is amazing for evangelism. If you uh, share the gospel with people, ask questions, don't just say things. Um, Ask questions of people, do you know who God is and do you know who you are? Those are two critical questions. But look at what Philip asks him. Do you understand what you're reading? And I love his response. How can I? I wonder how many people in Carroll County, Maryland, and beyond are asking the question, how can I? How can I understand this without, and look at what the next phrase says, he said, unless someone guides me. How can I understand these unless you're there with me? How can I understand these things unless you share them with me? Romans 9, 10, and 11 continue this out in this beautiful display in Romans chapter 10 where it says how beautiful are the feet of of those who take the gospel to the nations. Like, the people who take the gospel to the nations are the ones that are going to answer the how can I unless someone guides me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Man, this gospel presentation is going really well. Uh, This is not how it always goes, church. Uh, Not typically do you run up to a a tank in a foreign land, and they invite you inside the tank to talk about the gospel. It's just not common, and especially if they're reading Isaiah 53. I don't know what the exact parallel is with a chariot in our modern day. Uh, technology, but you just can um, imagine this scenario. The guy who's over all the finances for a, uh, a queen is riding in a chariot, and you're like, hey, I'm coming over, and we're going to talk. He just lets him up in there. It's just beautiful. I think it's awesome, and I'm, I'm happy because I, do you guys see how much God is at work in this? Verse 32, now the scripture passage he was reading was this, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before its shear, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who will describe his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. The eunuch said to Philip, I ask you, who is the prophet saying this about himself or someone else? So questions, questions, questions. Questions are good, y'all. Verse 35, Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about 
uh, uh, good news about Jesus, beginning with that scripture, beginning with Isaiah 53 and moving forward. He tells them the good news of Jesus Christ. And, you know, I think it's pretty cool that uh, Luke does not record the exact words of Philip here. Because I think if he did, it might put sort of an um, expectation on us. But if you read through Acts and look at the different times that the gospel is shared, sometimes it tells us the exact words, sometimes it doesn't. But there's no, like, clear-cut way to do it. And I think sometimes when we rely too, on, too much on what we say and how we say it and all the words articulated to the perfect, uh, in the perfect way and in the perfect situation and setting and try to get everything perfect, it's like these guys are in the middle of a des- deserted, desolate city on a chariot for a foreign man with a different language and they're talking about Isaiah 53 and it's in the middle of that that God chooses to work. Because it's not based on what we say and how well we say it, it's based on what God does in the midst of it. And I, I just hope that we can continually see that, man, it's God at work through Philip. It is not merely Philip's work. Verse 36, as they were traveling down the road, they came to some water. The eunuch said, look, there's some water. What would keep me from being baptized? Apparently, Philip had given him enough information that baptism isn't, is uh, uh, what, what follows belief. Um, the Ethiopian eunuch Ethiopian eunuch believes and is baptized because of this. Uh, I, because of this, we are, um, our denomination believes that we, we baptize by getting into water. It's what it says here. Look, there's water. What would keep me from being baptized? So he ordered the chariot to stop, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. I think the importance there is this here. The Ethiopian eunuch, for the first time in his life, after being separated from the presence of God and the Spirit of God never could be near him for the first time in his life, he is in the presence of God. God is with him and he is being baptized to say to the world and to those who read this scripture every single time they read it that this man believed in Jesus. It's the first time he was able to be in the presence of God in his life because Philip was faithful to get up and go. You see, God works in the midst of this crazy situation to raise up a mighty missionary. Irenaeus and Eusebius, historians, um, uh, religious writers, but two, two writers write of this Ethiopian eunuch later. They say that this Ethiopian eunuch, not giving names, was the first missionary to Ethiopia. And read, read, read what happens next, verse 39. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him any longer, but went on his way rejoicing. Not because of what Philip did, but because God was working in this Ethiopian eunuch's life, he goes. After a portrait, like just a snapshot of Philip's life and a snapshot of Ethiopian eunuch's life, it changes the course of of Ethiopia. The gospel moves into an entire nation because God faithfully used a man who would be obedient. Isn't that not amazing? Acts chapter 1 and 2, when the Spirit of God is poured out on his people, it says this, um, when Jesus is ascending into heaven, he says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When they talked about Ethiopia because it was so far west, they, they talked about Ethiopia as the ends of the earth. 
That's what they thought. That's what they thought of when they, you can see it in writings, ancient writings all throughout the ends of the earth. When Jesus says the gospel is going to go to the ends of the earth, he is using and moving through people to accomplish that plan. And it's amazing to see this snapshot of how Philip is used to take the gospel to the ends of the earth through an Ethiopian eunuch who traveled to know more about the Israelites' God. Do you see how God is working in the midst of all of this? I mean, he's not even Jewish. Like he was from Ethiopia and somehow encountered something about this Israelite God. We don't even think he was really a, a believer in the Israelite God. He's just trying to figure it out. Like all these sorts of deities, who this is. And all of a sudden he encounters the risen Savior through Philip. And, and verse 39 is interesting to me because it says the Spirit of the Lord carried away Philip. And after reading this a couple times and just just processing through it, I'm like, how did that happen? Like, what does that even look like? And, and like, just real talk, like, just me and you guys, like, I went to the commentaries, and I was like, I got to figure out how in the world the Lord took him away. So I go to the commentaries, and I start reading about it, and there was, like, one sentence in, like, my best, like, my favorite commentary with this, like, really academic writer. He, he drops, like, one sentence in there. He's like, and the Spirit of the Lord took the unit. I'm like, it just, it's, that's what it says in the Bible. Why'd you just say the same thing? And I feel like to some extent I was going to the commentaries like looking for some like chemistry or biological formula or something. Like how in the world did this happen? Tell me what they did. Obviously it's not going to be in there. I think sometimes we just sort of want to explain away miracles. But at the same time, think about this scenario. This Ethiopian eunuch engages for the first time with the Spirit of God in his presence. And the Spirit of God moves to take away the guy that just shared the gospel with him. And all in a moment, this Ethiopian eunuch, within a day, we don't know the exact time frame, his life has changed forever. But no glory to Philip. All glory to the Spirit of God working through Philip and what he's going to do through him as he goes into Ethiopia. In fact, read the, read the next verse with me. Philip, it says, verse 40, Philip appeared in Azotus as, and as he was traveling and preaching the gospel in all the towns until he came to Caesarea. And that's it. There's Philip. Snapshot twice. You got Samaria and you got the Ethiopian eunuch and the Philip's kind of out of the picture. Except for one passage, 20 years later, Acts, uh, about 20 years later, Acts chapter 21, verse 8. Acts chapter 21, verse 8. This is so cool. Turn your Bibles. Look at it with me. I just think it's worth, uh, worth seeing what happened with this guy. Remember, he just traveled to Caesarea, or he was traveling to Caesarea. He stayed there. And 20 years later, 20-ish years later, verse 8 of chapter 21. The next day we left and came to Caesarea, where we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist. Apparently his name shifted now. He's not just Philip. He's not just the deacon Philip. He's Philip the evangelist. People know who this guy is. You get around this guy, you're going to hear the gospel kind of thing, right? Philip the evangelist. It says, uh, uh, who was one of the seven. So this gives us clarity on who it is because there were lots of Philips. In fact, there was one, uh, one of the disciples' names was Philip. So we have, of, of course, other Philips in this area. So he just gives us clarity. This was that guy. Remember 13 chapters ago, 20 years ago? You remember that guy, Philip? who was one of the seven, and they stayed with him. Man, when I'm, like, I thought about this. When I'm in heaven, like, this is one of those things that I want to just be like, hey, guys, can y'all tell me what you talked about? 
I mean, every single one of these guys were in situations of persecution and suffering. We're talking like the guys that you, Cornelius, Paul. I want to hear those stories of, of when they were traveling together and all the shipwreck moments and all the persecution moments that they just discussed in that house in that moment. Whoever was there, I don't know. We don't know exactly who may have heard or been a part of that conversation. We know some of the guys there. But I just can't imagine what took place in that moment. But look, but look at what it says. And this is what all these guys got to witness. It says in verse 9, This man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. Man, let me tell you something. I've known preachers, pastors, leaders in the church, all sorts of different situations who have preached, led ministries, uh, done big things, big events, preached on big stages, all those sorts of things. I think that would give up everything to know that their children were pursuing after Christ. At, like, at the end of the day, the first people who I disciple are my wife and my kids, leading them and showing them what it looks like to love them and encourage them and grow with them, walk with them through life. Like That's got to be my first calling. But man, I hope I can be like Philip. You know what I'm saying? I feel like after 20 years, the man's been evangelizing, bringing God's word, and he can look out and see he's got four daughters who are prophesying. Like they're not, not only is he being faithful to the Lord, but they're being faithful to the Lord. Man, let that be the prayer of our hearts, no matter what age you are and what your family looks like right now, that in 20 years, you're able to say, my God, I've been faithful to raise up. And look, you can't dictate what your kids do. I know that. I've worked as a student pastor for long enough to see all the differences. But you can be faithful to do what God's called you to do. Just be faithful. The way that God works in the midst of that and the, what God does and the way God brings people back and the way God uses people to bring his glory, that's all up to him. And the way that God uses bring back to repentance and we can pray for these different things. But at the end of the day, man, when I look at Philip's life, I'm like, man, God, may I just be like that? You know what I'm saying? Like Acts is just a picture of Stephen's life. Like God, may I be faithful to the end like him forgiving in the last moment the enemies that are trying to kill me. Maybe I'd be like Philip to preach the gospel and no matter where I am and what situation I face, may I just be faithful like Philip. We're about to see a man named Saul who turns to Paul. We're going to see a man named Cornelius. Like it's just snapshots of what it looks like to be faithful through these men's life. And I just, I want to challenge you, like, what does it look like for me to be like Philip today? What does it look like for you to be like Philip today? And ultimately for the purpose, like Paul would say, of all of us pursuing after Jesus. Because I want to be like Stephen when he pursues Jesus. I want to be like Philip when he pursues Jesus. And I want to see all these snapshots and apply it to my life. And I hope you will too. Because Philip was a man like you. He was human like you. He had the same challenge whether he would follow after the Lord when the Lord said, get up and go, or whether he would deny it and turn away like Jonah. So I got two challenges for you this morning as the worship team comes back. First is this, will you be faithful to follow after Jesus by the power of the Spirit? Through the power of the Spirit, will you be faithful to follow no matter what Jesus has called you to do? Here or there, wherever you go, be faithful to preach the word of God wherever you are. Share the gospel. And the second, my second challenge is, uh, for you is this. Uh, Philip didn't go to someone that looked like him, talked like him, acted like him, right? 
This was somebody from a different nation who spoke a different language, who had a very different culture. He was the treasurer. Philip is sort of opposite situation as this. I could see Philip just walking around, just like he's got a chariot, looks down at him like, what are you doing? Look, God is not always going to call you to somebody that looks like you, acts like you, talks like you, is from the same place as you. God's not always calling you, look, to love your neighbor uh, who's your friend. Sometimes it's your neighbor who's your enemy. God's not always calling you to the person who's easy to talk to. Sometimes it's the person who's coming against you and literally against you. You know what I'm saying? Like to the nation that's not for you, but to the nation that's against you. Like that's what God does. So he's not going to change who he is and what he does. He sends us to the places not based on what's safe, but based on what is right, based on what he has called you to do. And it's our job not to determine what is safe and easy, but what is faithful. So no matter what you do this week, just be faithful. No matter where you go, who you speak to, just be faithful. And I hope if you hear anything through the book of Acts, that you'll continually hear me say, just be faithful. Be faithful where you go and with what you say, because God can use you despite your fear, not knowing what to say, not even knowing where you're going or who you're going to talk to. God can use you. And I pray that he will use you in a big way. I had somebody tell me, I'll end with this as they lead worship. I had somebody tell me after the service before this, they said, you know, I've been praying that God would, um, God would not let me be like Jonah, but I was asking God, show me how to be the opposite of Jonah. And I didn't know what that looked like. He said, I've been praying not to be like Jonah. I've been praying not to be like Jonah. And then today to see, you know, the difference between Jonah and Philip, now I know what I ought to do. You know, even though Philip, uh, Jonah went to Nineveh, he never had compassion for Nineveh. The Lord had to teach him that. He, Jonah was never faithful. He just kind of took one faithful step. But it was, it was not out of compassion. It was not out of preaching. It was not out of doing what God called him to do. It was because he just didn't want to die. I hope for you, it's not that that drives you. I hope it's like Philip. Just following where the Lord takes you, no matter where that is. So go this week. Go preach the gospel. Go share the good news with Jesus Christ. May we not know the truth without sharing it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for giving us the gospel message, the good news for the nations. I pray, God, that you would use us this week to further your kingdom, whatever that looks like. God, would you speak through us? Would you act through us so that the people see the gospel out through us, uh, even when we struggle? We fall short, God. We know that you can empower us to do whatever you called us to do. So, Father, give us what we need this week to accomplish your plan. Like, Philip, God, if you would just make it so clear through your word or speaking to us in prayer times, God, would you speak to us so that we know what you want us to do and then give us the strength to be obedient to whatever it is. So, Father, we'll trust you with everything, laying it all down at your feet. Use us however you will, Father. Even in that dangerous prayer, use us however you will. We love you, Father, in your son's name. Amen.
has quaked before Moved by the sound of his voice The seas that are shaken and stirred Can be calmed and broken for my regard And through it all, through it all are on you and through it all through it all it is well and through it all through it all my eyes are on you and it is well with me It is.
Father, thank you for allowing us to be here in your presence to worship you and declare your name to the nations. I pray, Father, that you would use this church as a force for good, as a light in the midst of darkness, taking your word and your love into the midst of places without it. So, Father, use us to answer answer the question, how can I? Let us be your guide. Father, we love you and praise you. In your son's name, amen. Remember, church, you're sent in the midst of darkness to light it up. We pray you have a great week. have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more about following after Jesus, uh, please contact us and we would love to talk more about your relationship with Christ and how you can grow in your spiritual journey.